Hey there, fellow entrepreneurs. If you're tired of complicated domain management, I've got the solution for you, Hover.com. Hover makes registering and managing domains a breeze. Their clean interface and hassle-free experience will save you time and frustration. No upsells, no hidden fees, just straightforward domain services. Plus, Hover offers top-notch customer support. Make your life easier. Head over to milwaukeemafia.com hover and simplify your jo- domain journey today. You're listening to Milwaukee Mafia, your weekly podcast dose of Wisconsin Mafia and true crime history. Hey everybody, welcome back to Milwaukee Mafia. I'm Eric Waltergens. I'm Gavin Schmidt. We are back with another one of our mini episodes and we're going to be doing another question that a listener has submitted. We will start with this question, which is, what kind of people were on the top 10 hoodlum list? Were they charged with crimes more often? The first thing that I think you should do with this, Gavin, is explain what the top 10 hoodlum list is because I don't recall this ever being on a podcast. You're not sure if it was ever on a podcast. I I have a guess. (laughs) <laughs> you you have a guess? I have a guess. Uh, I You're right. I don't remember it, but my guess is this came up during the Reno heist. Do you remember the Reno the heist? heist? Yeah. yeah. Um, because the guy who was involved with that made it onto this list. So I may have mentioned it Dang. at that time. I don't know for sure, but I'll assume that was why. But either way. Okay, so... What happened is in 1957, there was this big bust in New York. And anybody who knows much about the mafia has heard of this. It was called Appalachian because it was the city of Appalachian, New York. And all these mob guys from around the country were meeting. We don't really know what for. They got together. They had a cookout. What was discussed, nobody really knows. A guy with law enforcement, I want to say he was state patrol. Doesn't really matter. But he he caught wind of this, and he's like, this is very suspicious. A lot of fancy cars, a lot of guys in suits. This is very out of the normal situation for the area. He ends up, he sets up a roadblock, and a lot of these guys get stopped on the way out. Um, a number of them don't get caught because they run through the woods. Because <laughs> as, as <laughs> when they find out what's, what's happening, they run through the woods. But the guys who do get stopped, you know, he runs the record, and these guys are all, like, notorious in one way or another. I don't know combined how many felonies this is, but I mean, but he figured out real fast that yeah, he was on to something. <laughs> he had stumbled upon a gold mine here, right? This makes huge, huge headlines, and up to this point, the FBI had not really been investigating organized crime. There's a few exceptions here or there where they would look into things, but as a whole, it wasn't a focus. The Bureau of Narcotics, which is now the DEA. They had been looking into this for years, but the FBI had not. J. Edgar Hoover, the head of the FBI, is like, oh, crap, we got to get on this. <laughs> and up to this point, like he didn't really care. His excuse was that this is a local issue. It's not our problem. Um, there's some debate about his, his opinions on that. But whatever the case is, they hadn't really focused on it. But now he was caught in a situation where he was kind of embarrassed because people were asking the FBI, hey, what's up with this? And they don't know. They don't have these records. So a memo goes out to all the offices across the bureau offices across the country. And it says, create a list of the top 10 hoodlums in your area. And hoodlums was the common word they used at the time. Of course, you know, it's criminals. And in this case, they specifically meant mob members. Mm-hmm. 
but hoodlum was like the word they used. So this memo went out to all the different offices and they compiled a list. It's kind of funny because New York makes a list. New Jersey makes a list. Chicago makes a list. I mean, that makes sense, right? Yep. But then it gets a little weird. There's other cities that like San Jose, California has an office. So they have to make a list and they find some guys to put on it. But it's like their list is clearly not like the New York list. Like you read the New York list, you're like, these guys are some bad mother, you know. (laughs) And the San Jose list is like, yeah, these guys are kind of a nuisance. (laughs) So there's a big variation there. There was an FBI office in Montana, and I don't know if they even made a list. (laughs) So, So Milwaukee, of course, makes a list. And they come up with 10 guys. And some of them totally make sense. Frank Balistrieri on the list, which is actually, they were kind of ahead of the game a little bit. Because again, this is 1957. He doesn't become the head of the mob until the early 60s. So he's already like on the radar before Mm -hmm. that. The actual mob boss in Milwaukee, John Alioto, he's on the list. Walter Broca, who's like the handyman for the mob. He goes around and he does like construction work and stuff. Like somehow he gets on the list. I'm not entirely sure how (laughs) he got picked. He's on there. And then they picked up like a handful of guys, like one guy from Kenosha, one guy from Racine, just to kind of round it out. The list as a whole, like some of them make sense. And some of them are kind of like, I don't know. They were reaching. Again, to be fair, in 1957, they didn't know yet. I mean, this is before they even started investigating. So the fact they were able to come up with a list at all, I'll give them some credit for that. Yeah, so that's that's where this list came about. And then to investigate the mob, they would... They would hit this hard. They would pick up their 10 guys and they would just look into everything about them. They'd get employment records. They'd get school transcripts. They'd look up marriage records, birth records. They'd look into their parents. Excessive amounts of like information they compiled on these 10 guys. I should be clear, nine of the 10 were Italian. The 10th guy was actually Jewish and he... He ran a pawn shop. They considered him to be like the fence of the group. We know what a fence is, right? Not really. Oh, okay. You should define that. Okay. A f- I've heard the term. Okay. But- a, fe- a fence is usually it's a pawn shop owner. It doesn't have to be, but it's somebody who takes in stolen goods and then sells them for them. For them. But he's like the fence because he divides the criminal world and the legit world. Because if like, if I steal something and then I go, I list it on Craigslist, you know, it's obviously just way before Craigslist, but I listen on Craigslist. Well, that's stupid of me because whoever's looking for this item is going to be like, oh, here's my item. And now I know who stole it. Mm-hmm. So instead you give it to this other guy and he finds a way to sell it for you. He's not going to put it on Craigslist because then he's going to get caught and that's stupid. But he'll find a way, like if he has to sell it to a third party in another city or something where it's far enough that no one's going to be looking for it. That's what offense is. Gotcha. He he helps you get rid of stolen goods. So literally when this memo came out for this list, was this memo literally just like, we need the list of the top, biggest top bad people in your area? Or was there any sort of guidelines on how to pick these people, really? There may have been guidelines. I mean, and I don't remember the details. It was definitely, it was mafia. I mean, it wasn't just the biggest criminal. These were all guys who were mafia connected, which is funny because you rarely, rarely see the word mafia in an FBI document. And you didn't see it for this either. They would call them the top hoodlums. And apparently everybody in that time knew what that meant because they were all, all these different offices throughout the country. They picked up the mob guys. 
somebody apparently understood that hoodlum meant mob guys. Maybe that was just more common knowledge at the time. I'm not sure. But it wasn't just like any old criminal. For guidelines, I'm sure there were guidelines, but it was definitely they were picking out mafia guys, but they didn't use the word mafia, which is funny. And then even like years later, like on occasion, the word mafia would come up. Like if they're interviewing somebody and the person says, they're a member of the local mafia. Well, they'll write it down then because they're like quoting a guy. Instead of using the word mafia, the FBI instead decides to just invent a whole new <laughs> term for it. So they call it uh, La Cosa Nostra. Okay. <laughs> this is uh, this is a sidetrack. So the the first big informant they got was a guy in New York uh, named Joe Valachi. And I may be saying his name wrong, but either way. They get this guy and he he says the organization is called Cosa Nostra. That's what he tells them. I don't know where he got this from because nobody seems to agree that this is the case. It, it, it's a very poor Italian translation of this thing of ours. So they would be talking and they'd be like, instead of saying, you know, oh, hey, we're both in the mafia. They'd be like, hey, you know about this thing of ours? They'd refer to it as Cosa Nostra. But that was never like the name of the organization. But the FBI picked up on that and they called it Cosa Nostra, but they called it La Cosa Nostra. So it's the this thing of ours, which makes absolutely no sense. They clearly didn't understand Italian. And so now from that day, from, from the 50s till today, they're still stamped that way. Anytime there's a file that's like a, a mob guy, doesn't say mafia on it. It might say OC for organized crime, but it usually says LCN, La Cosa Nostra. That's like the, the FBI's abbreviation for, this is this is a mob file LCN, and it's funny like they just ran with it. Like this is a terrible abbreviation, a bad translation, but that's what they use. But yeah, I, I don't recall what specific guidelines there were, other than it, these were mob connected guys. They were within the jurisdiction of that specific office. Yeah, I mean they were supposed to be people that were worth watching because if you followed them around long enough, you were going to catch them doing something. Would you say like so you talk, you were talking about. When they went up to New York, they had this big meeting. Yes. This guy, this state trooper, was it or whatever? I, I think it was a state trooper. I don't recall exactly. So he he kind of, well, I don't think anybody, did you say, did anybody actually get busted or anything for this? They, they did. Oh, they did get people They did. Busted. Yeah. These guys, the ones who got caught ended up getting charged with conspiracy. This went through the courts for quite a while and it eventually ended up getting tossed out because nobody could tell what the conspiracy was. <laughs> like, it was a bunch of guys with criminal records all associated they together. But, but they was, weren't doing anything. But they weren't doing anything. The only thing they could prove is that they were grilling out steaks. <laughs> so it ended up getting tossed eventually. Was this kind of an embarrassment to the FBI? Because this it was. Because this was the ma first major time that they... Because all the, these people were from all over the country, you said. Yeah, right? yeah. So was this the first time... That there was a big event that got busted up that they realized, oh my God, you, are you telling me that all these mafia people are communicating with each other um, all around the country? I don't know. I mean, there were previous like national meetings in like Atlantic City. There was one in uh, Cleveland at one point, but none of them got like the publicity that this thing got. I mean, this was well, Did, this did was they huge. know about the other ones though? Like, you know about them now. I, I don't recall. I don't want to say they did or they didn't. I feel pretty confident that the Cleveland one got busted, but I'm not 100% on that. So I, I 
You got me on the spot with that one. I don't okay. know. I don't know. But I, I was just curious because this just does sound like this was kind of. But that was way like the Cleveland one is like 1928 or something. Like it's way, way back. back. Yeah, yeah. Which at that point it's probably not going to be that big of a deal because yeah. at that point I don't know enough about the FBI, but there really very, wasn't an FBI. Yeah, there really yeah. wasn't an FBI, and if there was, they weren't really in the place where they're going to start investigating a mass criminal network all across the country. Right. Right. It's interesting. Do you have anything to say about the part of it where were they charged with crimes more often? Yeah. I mean, I guess they probably were because they were on this list. I mean, they were probably constantly looking for things to bust these people yeah, for, right? Yeah. On the whole, I don't think these guys were committing more crimes than other guys who weren't on the list. I, I don't have that worked out. I don't have a spreadsheet. So I, I can't back that up 100%. But I would say they got busted unfairly more often if that's something they we were targeted because they were targeted yeah and even frank balistry top mob boss right he goes to prison twice in his life the first time is in the 1960s for tax evasion and would they have caught him anyway maybe maybe not i don't know it definitely helped they were constantly on his butt <laughs> you know like when they when they ran his taxes and things weren't adding up well, you know, they'd been following him around every day, so they kind of knew what his income was. <laughs> yeah, so like <laughs> they maybe wouldn't have been able to make the case quite as strongly if they hadn't been on him. Like a normal person, not everybody is being constantly followed, followed to so that the people know yeah. specifically. Like, well, this just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and then later, the second time he goes to prison, the primary reason he went to prison the second time is for running a gambling organization. And there again, he's got guys working for him as bookies and runners and stuff like that out there taking bets from people. And yeah, it adds up to a significant amount of money and he was making a good profit off of it. But is that something that's going to catch a lot of attention otherwise? If, if I'm out there, you know, running a gambling pool, if I don't already have the FBI following me around, is anybody really going to care? Not as much, probably. Mm -hmm. I think that definitely being followed and targeted makes you more likely to get caught for crap that other people would get away with. If they said I mean, they, they, ne they never caught him, like, in a murder or anything. I think they're obviously going to be watched, and being watched is just inevitably going to make them more yeah. susceptible to being caught for things. Because yeah. if there's somebody you, always on here, I mean... Yeah, you're getting, you're getting followed around. They're, sometimes they were bugging his phone calls. He, could, he couldn't do anything. Yeah, if he yeah. said the wrong thing on the phone, they could arrest him. It sets you up to definitely be busted more often when somebody's always listening. listening. Yeah, exactly. All right, well, anything else you want to add to this one? No, I think that was pretty good. We got a nice overview of the top 10 hoodlum list yes. as well. Super. All right, then that concludes this mini episode of Milwaukee Mafia. We'll be back next week with another mini episode. And Gavin, if you want to go ahead and hit them up with the little contact info. Yeah, uh, you can find me at MilwaukeeMafia.com. There's a lot of writing on there of uh, pretty much all the stuff that the mob did between the 60s and 90s. It isn't in the books yet. You can email me at MilwaukeeMafia at gmail.com or you can go to Facebook.com slash MilwaukeeMafia. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in, and we'll be back next week with another mini-episode. Mm -hmm. As always, if you enjoy this podcast, please give us a positive review on your favorite podcast player. We will see you next week. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in to the Milwaukee Mafia Podcast. Join us next week for another look back 
at Wisconsin Mafia and True Crime History. <laughs>